Kia ora and welcome back to the Stag Raw Podcast. This is episode 317 and I'm joined by the absolute legend Dave Galbraith. If you're a Between Two Bears fan you would have heard Dave talking on their podcast um, and if you're one of the few hundred people that have gone back to the very beginning of the Stag Raw you'll see a whole bunch of mini podcasts there at the start. Um, one in particular or two in particular start the day with winning that's from the 19th of July 2017 and that was when I just started reading Unleashing Greatness by Dave Gabraith. and then the next one up is when do you have an MOP which is moments of perfection that's from the next day 20th of July 2017 and that was from reading Dave Gabraith's book um, exploring moments of perfection that was around the time we were gearing into the finals for um, rugby team at Hotapu, the place Dave got his start at, um, and then someone who mentored me and how I really got in touch with what Dave's sort of doing and who he is, um, Don Batiste, who also is on the early early days of the podcast. Um, yeah, that was what that was all about. Anyway, so Dave's been the mental skills coach for a very long time with New Zealand Sevens. He was part of the Chiefs program when they won those two premierships on the trot. Um, Dave's worked with another uh, a number of high-level athletes, um, Lisa Carrington, Sarah Walker, um, a few of the Magic team as well. Um, yeah, he's, he's across the board. He's worked with Japan Rugby, with Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown for the World Cups. He's brilliant. Um, if he's touched somebody's life, and you ask him about Dave Gilbraith, I'll just say how great of a person he is. I was so stoked with this. I've been trying to get Dave on since I started this podcast in 2017. Um, a good chunk of last year was spent trying to line something up. Um, we did line it up, and then there was a massive storm, and so I didn't end up recording it, and then we sort of didn't really have anything that lined up, and then, yeah, come last week was able to make the trip over to Tauranga to the mountain catch up with uh, a great man um, and I'm hopeful that what we said when we parted ways that we'll be crossing paths again comes to fruition because what an awesome guy and an awesome message um, I felt really sort of like pinching myself I had a basically a two-hour psychotherapy session <laughs> so much of this chat I uh, just really has put a firecracker up me um yeah same with reading that book unleashing greatness there's some really awesome tools and exercises in that book which so many people have have told me it changed their life if you like a copy of it part of what is in that book is to hand it on so i have a copy um yeah and i'd like to share it around and, and share the wealth so yeah reach out via instagram rhino connor nz and look as a message Tag this uh, podcast in, this, in your story, share it with friends, because if you're looking for some free psychotherapy, this podcast is it. <laughs> right, without further ado, let's get into it. Dave Galbraith, absolute legend. Sound. Yeah. It's the smells, eh? Like the summer smells are out there. Yeah. Okay. 
you know Dwayne Sweeney? Yeah, I've had Dwayne on. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's um, a good man. That, that of course, is a, a topic that you'll know a little bit about. Um, the Waterboy. Yes. Yeah, so one of the early people I did have on the podcast was Thomas. Oh. And now I th- thought I'd had him on again. I thought I'd spoken to him while I was in Australia. So I think I've had Thomas on twice and then... Yeah, Dwayne. Yeah. Um, when I moved back to when I moved to Tokoroa, I came up to Hamilton, went into the head offices, and we Workers. had a, we had a chat. Yeah. Workers. And of course, he's pretty keen on on fishing and talking fishing. Do you do much of that? No. No. I, no. I've, I know Dwayne from um, Chief Stays or yeah, Waikato Days. Yeah, both. Yeah. So I've known him for a while, and had a good chat with him uh, at one stage too. I think he caught about. Was it up to 40 marlin or something on his little boat? He had done. He was out often. So no, I love it. He's a good man. Good man. Absolutely. So I was, as I said, I was talking to my daughter on the way over here. And so I was, she said, where are you driving to? And I said, oh, to Tauranga. And she's staying with my, my parents in Christchurch. Yeah, and and um, so yeah, I was talking to my daughter. And, and she said, where are you going? I said, over to Tauranga. I'm talking to Dave Galbraith. And my dad's, because he's been involved with New Zealand Rowing, he's like, I don't know who that is. He said, There's a man, that man talks about happy, fat cows or something. What's, <laughs> what's the story there, Dave? <laughs> um, yeah, it's come way back. I'd been asked to do half of a, you know, I guess a keynote with um, Bruce Hamilton, the director of medicine. Okay, yeah. On... I think it was general well-being mm-hmm. for athletes or in general in general in general in general for you know for athletes as well but in general and i put um a lot of thought into it and they asked me for my slides <laughs> and everything that goes with the presentation of probably what's expected and i sent them one picture mm. which was of this really fat cow mm. <laughs> and it looked looked incredibly happy um, but I didn't realise that when a cow gets to a certain condition it ends up having horizontal and I think they actually called them horizontal happy lines <laughs> and so that was the essence of the the um, conversation that particular conversation had a bit more to it and I, well, I guess it's the thing for me which is if we think health you know the dissonance that comes from um compromising our own identity mm-hmm. with what we say we believe in and who we are and I reckon that happens most days for most people in most places mm. you know for example how are you I'm fine there's a standard what do people think we all agree everyone's like yeah so the conformity you know I believe conformity leads to a dissonance at you know the psychological level the spiritual level definitely the social level but that's an energy that's got to go somewhere so you can't generate that much distress mm-hmm. let's say it's talking about racism yeah. it's like, I reckon if it comes down to it and this is what Einstein said is that it was if you ask me what it's all about he goes it's about energy mm-hmm. Nick Altesla says if you want to understand the universe you've got to understand the energy frequency and vibration and so if we think about that for me that real essence of it is so not to align and behave in a way which is aligned to me 
then is an act of, you could probably even consider it um, self-sabotage mm-hmm. and self-attack. Now, psychologically, people go, oh, that's just, you've got to sit quietly sometimes. But they have to understand that everything's energy, mm. health and unhealth. Mm. It's just coming out in a different manner or a different way, but it's finding a way to um, come forward. And there's a great image I've, I often use it, and it's um, 1945, Hitler's visiting the dock somewhere, well, I think it was Hamburg. But anyway, the dock workers are all saluting, mm. except one guy, and I believe his name was um, August Messemheimer. And the story with him is his, his fiance was Jewish. Mm. So you see how there's a real powerful example of who we are and who we say we are mm-hmm. and whether we are strong enough in that moment to honour that. Mm. Obviously that that led to some serious consequences for him in that moment because he was arrested afterwards. But to stand in that way, another one's Tiananmen Square, we're on CNN mm. with that guy mm. standing in front of the tanks, Martin Luther King. So all these people are good examples for me where there's always a point where who we say we are is challenged by the universe to see whether that's true or not. Mm. And if we can live in a space where we honour that identity in our day-to-day world, I'd love to see the health stats of that group Mm. versus the group that don't Mm. to stress-related, cortisol-related issues. But then you go, well then where does drinking sit in that space and eating in that space and relationships in that space, but it's all the expression of energy. What was your reaction to, like obviously it was the perfect fairy tale story that Black Friends won, but what was your reaction to seeing those scenes? Like, I I can't even sort of watch the national anthem in the haka without getting tears in my eyes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I was saying, Michael, about Tokyo, Tokyo and the New Zealand women's team winning that. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm welling yeah, up right yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's so beautiful to um, have been here in Tauranga in like 2014, I think it was, yeah. playing sevens over at Bay Park. And like, we flew up here, boys and uh, men's and women's teams and old, you know, Ruby showed her personality then she grabbed the microphone and commentated one of the games <laughs> and, you know, and, that, and that was purely amateur days yeah. and then to watch them go to Rio and you know go so close and then get them to you know have them here full time in, in Tauranga and knowing it and you're like and you're going on the World Cups and winning and yeah. challenging and then winning that gold it's just like wow that was that was yeah. awesome and like how much of a change it is to 2014 when I was and that, and that Canterbury team is like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And another one that stands out for me is the Magic team in 12. Oh, nice, yeah. When they lost. Because I'm from Southland and we've, we've been, you know, yeah. we had the sting and yeah, the yeah, steel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Noel, Noel Eames did her Magic there as well. Yeah. And I remember that particular time, that team lost four in a row at the beginning and then went on and won the next mm-hmm. 12 or whatever it was. So there's moments like that where it's special right, when you see... You know, you see teams of good people do amazing things. That one stands out. Uh, and then there's the women's soccer team when mm. they had the World Cup here a couple of years ago. 
that was it last year? Last year, yeah. And they beat Norway? Y- yeah, I think or that was Holland. No. Someone like that. And, you know, they basically did Iceland beating England. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So yeah. there's moments like that. I'm just like, holy heck. Yeah, and it was interesting because the week before is when I interviewed the um, Seamus and, and Stephen from Between the Bears. And we were sort of sitting there on a, on a Tuesday night in Hamilton and going, I wonder what this is going to be like. And they said, you know, it's probably going to be something where Thursday rolls around and should we go to the football? And then, of course, it was, again, the perfect result. Like, they won and oh, here we go. <laughs> totally. Totally. That would be, for me, you know, the sevens, that was a beautiful victory. I love it when you have the unexpected. Mm. That, like the white ferns. That was not, and you know, I'd hate love to see what the TAB yeah. would have been for that. But that that's exceptional. When you see an underdog do something pretty magic like that, I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. cool. So while, while we're there, um, a person that I know that you sort of gave, did you get advice to go to Hotapu? Um, but that was just where you was, started. It was just the opportunity. Yeah. Andrew Douglas created that. Um, Dave Hatfield created that because Andrew Douglas had done some work with Dave Hatfield who was working with him rugby yeah. and mental skills and I've met Hatters and asked if he would mentor me he said yes I said is that okay if I let people know that he said yeah the next guy I spoke to was Andrew Douglas he'd just come on board as the coach mm-hmm. and um, I walked in at Barkland Immediate I remember at Barkland Immediate and um, introduced myself and said, oh, Dave Hatfield to my mentor. And he goes, oh, you're in. Oh, cool. It's just like that. And so that was where it started. So for Don Vitesse, did you say rock up to camp to Hotepu? <laughs> or did you put in a good word? Or Oh, how did that happen? I think that was with Craig Stevenson. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah Craig was head coach there. That's right, behind me. Um, no, I'm pretty sure he did the similar sort of thing, which was going to introduce himself and Craig, you know, he was open to it. He had been involved in that space for a little bit, so I reckon it was perfect timing. Synonymous. Yeah. yeah. So it was great. You know, Dom's a good man. Yeah, it was, it was great. Because I, I had been to the Rotary Youth Leadership Award at the start of when I got there, and then Dom rocks up and starts doing all this um, cognitive behavioural therapy tools. And I was like, I just heard this stuff. I can use it in rugby. <laughs> and I, like, especially when I was playing football, growing up through school, I was a hothead. And I was, I'd get frustrated. I've got a real fairness thing. And so I'd, mm. like, just would lose, lose thing. And he just said, you know, think differently, behave differently, and then it'll all, go, it'll all come around and... I think luckily I got made sort of captain of the reserves and they helped a little bit so I could sort of vent my frustration a bit better and sort of negotiate. But yeah, I started using that and I was like, oh, that's awesome. So then I did, did some work with, with Dom mm. um, outside of rugby mm. and it was, it was really valuable. Yeah, but, but then but then you, you gave him the opportunity to come over here and, and work with the seven skills and women. Yeah. yeah. He, he's some... Some psychologists are great in sport. Yeah. Some aren't. He's one of those ones that I think his foundation's been enough to give him a view of life which is 
probably as humble as you can get and non-judgmental as you can get mm-hmm. and then that sets you up I reckon to walk into sport or be in sport and and bring the right vibration and attitude to want to help out and just be part of it and not be anybody special mm-hmm. and I think that's why he's you know he fits so good in that space mm. yeah so it's, it's positive psychology like but how much do you have to address the demons <laughs> mm. it's a good question it's something I've given lots of thought to over the years about how it all fits together yeah and I'd even you know like you'll find different it's like it you know we all have the same training mm-hmm but certain types of the certain parts of the training or certain types of training fit for people in different ways. Mm. Might fit their perspectives and their way of seeing the world or the way they operate. And then so that's how they start to, you know, work with people or groups. And I reckon the thing we you know, when we look at, for example, positive psychology mm. versus the demons, so you can see how what's happened there is the way that we're talked to about psychology ends up giving us a perspective of positive psychology being a good thing and the demons being a bad thing. Things we need to fix. Yeah, that's right. Things <laughs> we need to fix. So you can see again if we look at health and well being. And you know, this is you know, obviously tonight this chat is really where I've got to. It's not the hmm. it's, it's not the um this isn't the textbook that mm. now is where we stand in the world and, and we follow it. <laughs> this is just where I've sort of got to over the years with you know, reflecting and listening to some pretty cool people and how they see things and how that works and having some great mentors and supervisors. And so where I've got to now is that the first thing that if we're going to look at psychology is to really come at it from a place of inside out or bottom up not top down so by the time it gets to being called positive psychology it's got so many layers mm-hmm. attached to it and a culture attached to it about who came up with that and what that culture's like and where it sits and all of those things and if we you know for me I just keep trying to break it down to the essence of it all and if we, we do that if we take away the perspective that we hold on positive psychology and the demons if we take that away what have we got so we haven't got positive, mm. just got psychology. Mm-hmm. And if we take away the sense of demons, we've just got psychology too. Mm-hmm. And so if we start to look at it like that, it's like, holy heck, so actually if we can keep looking quietly at, you know, in this case, positive psychology and do we have to go back and deal with the demons? If we can get to a point when we look at it and go, well, that's a creation, positive psychology is a creation of someone's perspective of thinking positive mm-hmm. and then they'll do research on it and show that that's attached to well-being mm. and feeling good about ourselves and having good biology and physiology and you know hormonology and so that's a good thing to be promoting mm. and then the demon side of things is shown to be the opposite but if we took away the perspective that that's a good thing and that's a bad thing mm we're going to have a completely different conversation about the demons and a completely different conversation about the positive psychology because it's all the same thing. Mm. We've just put a perspective on um, I'm a horrible person, I'm a wonderful person. 
because I see both of those just as damaging. Mm. So in sport, if you're thinking I'm a wonderful person, that's just as damaging as standing there and thinking I'm a shitty. Mm. Both of those have now taken you away from the moment. You've now been distracted mm -hmm. by grandiosity and over-importance or self-sabotage, destructive thinking, negative habits. So you can see how for me, they're actually the same thing. Mm. If we can start to look at the layers that sit underneath that, because I work in a perspective where if someone comes in and they've got demons, I'm like, whoa, sick, <laughs> sweet. Just have a chat about that. <laughs> and they're like, oh no, I want to stop them. And I'm like, well, let's just have a chat about it first. Because <laughs> I want you to help me understand these demons. <laughs> because what, I'm, what I've got to now is what I said at the start, which is if we can see, you know, if we can step back, because as we start to look at positive psychology and demons, we're actually starting to talk about ourselves. And now we're starting to see in the world the things that we like about ourselves and the things that we don't like about ourselves and the things that upset us and we don't want to be part of, or we just demonise that. Mm -hmm. And then you usually try and keep away from them. And then we'll try and go to the fluffies and mm -hmm. life's good and these really cool things like Santa and etc. etc. And then we end up with this ironic psychosis process because now we're living in this dual reality mm. that there's this thing but we don't want to you angry dad no mm. was it for that man in that moment he can't say he's angry because for some reason he's grown up with anger being a bad thing mm. and then he's having children the children can see he's wanting to kick the cat mm. um, but then he also no I'm not angry I'm not an angry man but he was somewhat positive Da, 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 da. so you can see how what it sets up as a real dilemma for the system as well as the person in which we can the number of kids that grow up in those environments mm. so I guess what I'm trying to say there is do we have to go back and deal with the demons if we have a perspective that there actually isn't good or bad it's just experience of being human for that person in that moment mm. and if we can have another layer underneath if we go what, it's, what is it all about Right, that big question, what's life about? What is it all about? If we have some sense of that, then the conversation that then comes becomes an exciting conversation. So if we understand that the essence of life and wherever you look, it's the same. It's all about, you know, it's a lovely um, Taoism quote. Oh, I think it's Taoism. Um, the universe never rushes but everything happens on time. So winter never rushes, mm. but the snow always comes. Mm. You know, climate change at the moment, da, 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 but there's still, this winter up north been huge. There's snow last night down south, by the way. That's why it was eight degrees this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so if you just think about that, the universe never rushes, but everything gets done. And we talked about Einstein, we talked about Tesla, so all these people that sit back, um, Jung was the same, I reckon Freud was the same, when they all step back and look at it, they understand there's this um, universal energy that's always flowing. Mm -hmm. The trees, an example, you know, seed mm -hmm. um, germinating in the ground, mm. it's a transfer of energy. And so if we go, okay, so the actual element that exists between people and the universe and ducks and humans and dogs and all of those things, it's all the same. It all comes back to energy. Mm. So if we can have a sense of that, then a conversation about demons becomes one of 
well, that's a real potential energy source. Mm. If we can find a way to understand that and no longer hide from it and run from it, it's not going to come out in shame and self-hate and destructive behaviours, which could lead to suicide. It's going to come out, the energy's still there, so you think the energy that's required to act suicide or some destructive self-damaging behaviours, that's very powerful energy. Mm. Raw. So if we can get to a point where we can sit and go, you know what, what's the message? Mm-hmm. What's the message in there that could be the essence of me now moving on in life in a way that's different? And the same with positive psychology, what's the message in there? Because the irony too is that usually the pieces that we demonize ourselves with sit on the edge of our greatest hope that we could become something more. Mm but then we have a judgment of ourselves that we haven't. We haven't worth it. That's right. Yeah. So usually what I find is that people's greatest distress, mm-hmm. panic attacks, generalized anxiety, um, any form of destructive behavior like gambling, alcoholism, etc. When you really get into a conversation about those events, you can usually see a trigger which is um, hopelessness mm-hmm. or the dream's been trashed one moment that where they gave up mm. on the possibility that they could be something or they failed and then they've gone destructive reflection see told you mm. you're never going to amount to much mm. pop mm-hmm. drink gamble give up give up behaviours and then enough you know look at the worst extreme so I always go right Whenever we've got that, usually just on that moment there was potential possibility mm. that I could mm-hmm. in the dream. Mm-hmm. Positive psychology is trying to get to the same place. So I liken it to the shadow, which is a Jungian Young, concept, yeah. right? And then you can say, right, Jedi. <laughs> so you say Darth Vader yeah. and Jedi. Yeah. They want the same thing. Darth Vader doesn't want to lose. He wants to play, not to lose, but he wants to win. Yeah. But he wants to get there through a, a game plan, which is don't, don't muck this up, boys. Don't drop the ball. Yeah. Right. That's I want to win without losing. Jedi, he just wants to win. Mm-hmm. So they both want the same thing. They want to win, but through a completely different path. The universe of playing to win versus playing not to lose, night and day. Yeah. In and yang. <laughs> Darth Vader, Jedi, right? So if we can then look at it like that, then no matter how dark our evil devils are, mm. they want to win. Mm. But they want to do it by not being found out to be a piece of shit. They want to do it by not making a mistake and looking bad. They want to do it without being ostracized and abandoned and rejected. And They want to be in the in-group. They want to be mm. signed by the coach to be the player of the VIP, most valuable player of the year, da 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 Jedi just goes once in the sky, just go play footy. Mm-hmm. I want to see what I've got. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to see what I've got and what they've got and the winner will be on the rugby win on the day. So you can see how now we've got a whole completely different discussion when someone comes in and goes, oh, I'm just the worst sabotager in the world. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, they too. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope you realise how exciting this is for me right now. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I go, because probably without you sharing it, you've probably been really close lately to thinking you've got the goods to make something really special. And they're like, whoa. 
And they're like, how do you know that? And I go, well, it's usually where terror sits. Yeah. Right on the edge of our possibility. And then they're like, yeah, no, I did. I was about to apply for this job or I was about to go for this um, trial or... And they're like, oh, okay. And then away we go. So now they can start to see that this is where it gets really freaky. If we come at it that way, all of a sudden our devil... Yeah. He's the best mate. Mm-hmm. He's trying to look after us. And he works hard, man. That negative self-doubter, the self-saboteur, he will work, or she will work, 24 hours a day when you're conscious, and usually in the unconscious as well, seven days a week for 95 years if he needs, <laughs> just to make sure you don't try. And then you'll never fail. And then mm. we win, sort of, because mm. we never fail. And they say the most popular generals in war in the old days were the ones that never lost. <laughs> they never won either. Mm. There's always surrender. Yeah, yeah. Surrender. And then all the soldiers, like, following them, because it meant they wouldn't die. Yes. So certain types of soldiers. So you, that's a bit of a metaphor, too, but you get a sense of, well, how many people are like that in life? Yeah. They're living so they don't die. Yeah. Plan not to lose. But then comes what comes with that is stress, tension, burnout. So people who have passion don't have burnout, right? So this is a real important part of that conversation is that people who have passion get tired. <laughs> and they rest. And then they just sleep. And mm. they'll sleep like the house down for two days. Mm. And they wake up, boom, let's go. Burnout is obsessive compulsive type stuff, which is unless I do A, B, C, and D, catastrophe is going to happen. I'm going to get seen as an imposter. We usually that's where the track that goes. Hmm. And then you've got excessive preparation, excessive work, can't stop, um, can't eat, poor sleep habits, poor eat habits, just go, 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 go. And everyone's like, oh, they're so driven. Hmm. But there's the devil. By fear, trying it? to help you get there mm. but from a belief system that you cannot have one thing wrong otherwise all the cards fall down whereas passion is patience, discipline planning, mentorship teamwork um, learning, growth mindset collaboration, collaboration. Mm-hmm. we're going to climb Mount Everest 100 people, let's go <laughs> what's your name, why does that fucking matter yeah, you're coming to right you don't need to know who what my name is we're in this yeah who's that guy why does that matter <laughs> you know so in that moment there's the difference between passion and what I see is you know when you think burnout where how that sits but you can see how again it all comes back to if we broke all of that down it comes to getting underneath that layer of socialization which is a culturalization we're assimilated into a culture regardless of our culture history mm. or our ancestry. A white middle class male has been acculturated into a certain belief system, a certain set of values, a certain picture of what it means to be that guy. Mm. And then we follow those rules because to step outside means that you're you know, ostracized. It's interesting you brought up the dichotomy of good and bad. Yeah. And I've joked often that for a long time I was good or angry and (laughs) opening up those 
descriptors of, of feeling was super valuable. Like even the other day, mm. I had a moment of of um, sort of unleash, and I realized, no, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. And what am I frustrated? You know, I was able to ask like why three times, and then it was kind of like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, man, that's the growth. <laughs> you know, that that it's so much, so much different. Like, yeah, yeah. what? Why do is integrating these things is that about um broadening the dichotomy you know adding nuance to the different little steps is that what the process of of having a psychologist is about like being able to explore the edges of everything and seeing where they overlap and how they move the energy one way or the other yeah again i guess it comes down to the the what they've settled on is their approach great yeah um and then they'll have a way of formulating people like what I've done I've just done a bit of a formulation about where health and unhealth comes from yeah and then that leads to a conversation that leads to an agreement about the direction that we're going to go consent and then we start that that work and so you you might have a the example that you gave there is you might start down a path of looking at your thinking Mm. and trying to figure out what thinking is helpful and what isn't helpful and how that then leads to how your you know your perspective and perception of a moment and interaction with people and mm-hmm. you know, a nice cognitive behavioral pathway that you talked about before which is shown to be really effective and that's the thing is it's not one that isn't it's just again what suits people's mm-hmm. perspective and philosophies i guess when they come to talk to someone you know they, they might think what i'm saying is like witchcraft mm-hmm. you know and well, they don't want anything to do with someone who wants to look at seeing that their Darth Vader is like their best mate. <laughs> All right, so they won't probably want that. They mm. might want to go and see a doctor and talk medicine and biology. Um, and so I would say that every psychologist probably has a slightly different view. Even if they were trained the same way, mm. their experiences that they've had, their age, whether they're a parent or a grandparent, mm-hmm. all of those things will lead to a very different conversation than a different trained or different experienced or same trained different experience. So I'll, I'll, you know, just add to that how I would look at it and go. I think the key in that moment is if we can understand the layers of what we've talked about, and when people will come and say they've got these goals that they want to achieve. So for example, they want to perform mm. as a better dad or a um, even an athlete or whatever it doesn't you know whatever it is that their performance is the essence then for me if I'm thinking psychology and then now it comes down to our principles or our assumptions some psychologists will feel they have to help mm-hmm. and they've got to fix them and they've got to do something because they came in the door and paid money mm. to be fixed and helped and then psychology or psychologist is someone who helps someone understand their own behavior and function well. Mm. That's by definition what it is. But my perspective is that's the last thing I should do. Because if I help them, they now become dependent on mm. me to help them. I want them to help themselves. Mm-hmm. So now straight away, the work that we're going to do with me supporting somebody is the work they're going to do. Mm. And so you see how now we've got a whole different 
process going on, which is I'm going to ask <coughs> them to think. Mm. I'm going to ask them to feel. I'm going to ask them to I'll help them with some framework, mm-hmm. but I want them to put them into the into the process. So you can see how I'm thinking. Firstly, I don't need to help you get fixed. You're going to help you. Then the second one's even more, which is, and oh, by the way, you don't have to help yourself get fixed either. Because guess what? You are? You're not broken. Yeah. <laughs> you've been led to believe you're fucked up. Yeah. That you've got panic attack, depression, anxiety, whatever it was. And where does that start from? Where we started, which is our culture has a view that all those things need fixing. Hmm. But if we look at the spectrum of humanity, then we should, if we're going to hold to that, we should then fix joy, happiness, um, discipline, because that's all on the spectrum Mm -hmm. of human feelings. So if I'm going to stop you feeling panic, then what's the, what is the contrasting other end of the continuum we're going to damper? Mm. If I'm going to stop you having an anger problem, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be Italian. (laughs) <laughs> you'll be Scottish yeah, just well, sour all the time yeah right <laughs> so you can see how what I'm talking about here is we have to understand that every action there's a counter reaction so yeah. if I go and try and help them stop what they see as a negative mm. in the psychology world they don't go it doesn't the mind and physiology doesn't go oh that one one that's one there we have to get out they yeah. just go but goes there's an emotional frequency in there yeah. that they that we don't want. Mm-hmm. So then we repress and suppress everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, how's today, John? Oh, it's been pretty good actually. Oh, what's happened today? Oh, my wife had our first child. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you serious? I ask you how your day is, and you go, it was good. Yeah. yeah. So you see now that how common is that? Or okay. you'll see guys going to work, da 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 da, and then they'll be angry in the afternoon. What's up? Oh, my dad died yesterday. Yeah. What the hell are you doing here? Oh, you know, you just got to carry on. <laughs> so you can see how now what we're doing is we've got to be careful because humanity operates in a, an emotional dimension, mm. not a sensible dimension. It's not a rational dimension. What, we bring all that in. Yeah, it was shocking, like you said, that as a caricature. But, you know, I've, as an optometrist, I've got to build a rapport. And yeah start with somewhere yeah <laughs> and the amount of times it's it's blank trying to get it's like blood out of a stone trying to get like who what what is the purpose why you know like as simple as like mm. why you know what is the purpose of being here Correct. i don't i don't know i'm like didn't who made the appointment <laughs> and then it's like what are you into and they're kind of like Yep, there you go. Okay, there's, there's no, no, nothing to write here. So you see there, our greatest pandemic is flatline. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see a little Ep- explosion. Epithy, yeah. We'll see little explosions, anger problems. That for me, that's just an expression, which has possibly been, if we look at depending on where that is and what their own culture is, that may be the only acceptable way to show passion. Mm-hmm. For a man to be angry, because mm-hmm. he can't cry when mm-hmm. his dad dies, he can't hug his son, mm-hmm. he certainly can't kiss him in public because he's gay. <laughs> so 
So you see how all of these things have been squashed down by our culturalization mm. about what it means to be a white middle class Western guy. Mm. I'm talking about that because that's what I am. Mm. So don't cry. Um, it's okay to be angry on the rugby field, mm. but then you've got to come off the rugby field and be this really nice guy, shakes the hand of the guy that you were in last minute wanted to destroy. Mm. And he was an asshole. <laughs> and now you got to come off and go, a great game, mate. So you see how we get set up to not have an appropriate relationship with ourselves and the layers of emotional, spiritual, mm. social, physical. So you see all the layers are influenced by this thing that happens from when we become born, because mum and dad do their best, but they've been part of that programming. Mm. Mm. Then we go to school. First thing that happens on day one for a little boy, sit quietly on the mat, mate. Mm. And you're like, what? <laughs> I've just spent five years working in the bush with my dad, and then you ask me to sit quietly on the mat? Are you crazy? Mm. And then all of a sudden, we've got a little boy that's now in trouble because he doesn't want to sit. Doesn't and I see him because he can't learn to read. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so you see how now the machines in gear, and I, you know, there's a, it's not a conspiracy conversation about whether this is orchestrated or what. Regardless of the motivation behind that system, it leads us to a point where we now have the highest rates of suicide in our youngsters, 15 to 24. Hmm. We've got the worst case, cases of mental health and adolescents possibly, you know, up there in the world. And So the stats drop out education-wise. Everything's telling us it's not working education rates, mental health rates, um, marriages, da 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 everything says, actually the way that you're raising your village ain't going very good, mm. but we don't look at those. Mm. So we end up in a situation where people are so far away from expressing who they are authentically in an environment where we want everybody to shine, to bring their magic, to have synergy within the classroom at school, mm. synergy within a team, synergy within an organisation. We've got this leadership framework that ends up having I'm the leader you do as you're told even though they'll say that's not mm. but anywhere where there's a hierarchy you've got people then that they're at the bottom end go I'm not responsible for anything you are mm. you told me to do this and oh actually it's five o'clock I'm going home mm. and oh, I thought tomorrow's public holiday tomorrow so you see how we end up with this apathy mm. that just pervades being a parent um, being ourselves going and working for organisation what's the average time that someone works for an organisation these days you two know, years one year yeah well, I'm guilty yeah but, but I think about <laughs> history for us yeah one job for a lifetime or two and people go oh that's the old school mm. and I'm like well, yeah I get that's a conversation but why are people moving why do they move so much why is there so much transient why are they looking so you can see how the conversations just start to open up and open up and open up because if you come from what we're talking about, if you don't know what you love, you're always looking. 16 partners, 16 jobs, 16 homes, 16 cities, 16 countries. Mm. Okay, but some people go, well that's just the way it is, you know, just see what the world's got to offer. But if we just go back to what we had, which is if we don't know who we are, we don't know what we stand for, we don't know where we've come from, we don't know what we consider to be important, then how can we ever settle in finding our one thing that we want to commit to for you know, the next 10, 20, 30 years to try and make a difference in our community, mm. or our country, mm. or our world. Mm. And so we have people that are often lost 
but they still might look like they're functioning well within the system. But when you sit down and have conversations with them, it's usually when they get to 30, 40, 50, they're like, ah, mm. I feel like I've run out of time. <laughs> and they do, you know, they get to 50s and they're like, ooh, half time, yeah, but the second half always goes quicker than the first half. Mm. And they're still not sure really whether they're happily married, whether they really like their job. They know they've got a big mortgage, but they mm. didn't really want to. And they've got a boat and a car, whatever it might be. So the picture looks okay. And their friends think they're okay. And they go to a party and people go, oh, you've got such a cool life, everything's going great. And they're like, yeah, thanks, Tom. It's worked so hard, I feel really proud. They don't feel like that at all. Mm-hmm. They wake up in the morning and go, sure, I'm going to play golf. <laughs> or I'm going to go fishing. So you can see how I talk about it, that in the end, if we think health and unhealth, no wonder people have bad eating habits, no wonder people have bad habits, 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 whatever they are. Mm. Because essentially a bad habit is a slave of our fear, and therefore we've got all of this fear, which is my life's not going to go very good, or whatever it might be. Mm. And then we get into a system and a situation where they can't talk about those fears. Mm. They can't be real and vulnerable at times. But it's got to go somewhere, and then it comes out. So we take a fear of um, fear of being seen as an imposter. Mm. And your bad habit number one is usually, you know, over prepare or procrastinate, mm-hmm. one or the other. And so then that just gets busy taking away that. But if someone asks you in a one-on-one as you go for a job interview, so what have you got any worries? Uh, no, no, actually, I'm really excited about this job. But underneath that, they're petrified they're going to let people down. They're not sure about how things are going to work out. And so we end up in a place where, oh, I guess really we summarise that down, is in the end people have no idea who they are hmm. or how they tick or what they feel or what they think because it's all an illusion. Hmm. Um so when it comes to, you know, if we bring that background to what you ask, is how do you approach that as a psychologist? It starts straight away with what I think my job is, what I think the problem is, and then where we go with that. So it's not my job, it's your job. But it's not your job either. Your job is to actually go, there's nothing to fix. Hmm. And then if we start that conversation, how would that look if there's nothing to fix? Because now we can really start to work on, well, if there's nothing to fix, then what is there? Hmm. and then now you see the whole conversation starts and they're like well what do you mean by that and I go well I'm really interested in how the hell or where did that name come from so where did Galbraith come from what's the story that goes with that I'm interested in that mate hmm. Let's, we'll get back to your panic attacks we'll come back to that later <laughs> for the first part I'm really keen to hear about what you know about who you are or who you are mm-hmm. where you're from so when you know that your forefather stood next to William Wallace to stop the English coming through Stirling mm-hmm. you sort of go sure that's pretty cool mm-hmm. so there are people that look like me tick like me have the same genes as me stood there and went no I'm not saluting mm-hmm. and then I go okay so it's now it's my turn and then you start to get goosebumpy now. So you see how all of a sudden the conversation has nothing to do with panic, nothing mm. to do with anxiety, has everything to do with energy, 
And now we start a conversation of, so your ancestors were non-conformers? Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, yeah. Oh, and adventurers? Yeah. Oh, and pioneers? Mm. Yeah. Oh, and they started the local school? Oh, and um, clergy? Oh, so they're also service-driven. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, <coughs> the conversation about panic is what they came for, but we're now 20 minutes into a conversation that I say, oh, how are you feeling in the moment? Well, you know, you came in really anxious. Oh, it's actually, it's feeling pretty good. Mm. And I'm like, well, let's just talk about that for a little bit. Do you still feel like you need to be fixed? <laughs> and they're like, no. Yeah. Not at the moment. I go, yeah, we can go back out the door and you get the world still there. Yes. But right now, in here, no. Cool. So well, imagine if we could take this mm. out there. And then they go, how do you do that? And I go like this. And they're like, whoa, that's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese have a beautiful term called mushin. Mushin. M-U-S-H-I-N. Mm-hmm. No mind. Mm-hmm. Quiet, peaceful soul. Last samurai. Um, Tom Cruise is mm-hmm. practicing and learning um, samurai. Mm-hmm. Guy runs over, goes, too many minds. Mm-hmm. Mind about getting hurt, mind about what we're thinking, mind about the sword, da, 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 da. too many minds. You need no mind. Mm-hmm. And now that's motion. Mm-hmm. And if anyone knows the longbow from samurai, when they, it's like a, a genuine sport, when they judge that, the first thing they judge is motion. Mm-hmm. They judge what your composure looks like, how spiritual and spiritual and present you look. And so if you watch it on YouTube, all the judges are watching the archer. No one's watching the target. Mm. The target's secondary. Because that's, that's in a, a practice of Zen, eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So mm. you can see now we, what we're really starting to talk about is how do we now help someone with all of that baggage? Mm. or what people call baggage is I want to live underneath because the baggage is socialization Mm. that's what the baggage is so if we want to live free of that well then we have to be free Mm. there's another I think it's uh, his name will come to me but his his quote was um, to be truly ourselves is the greatest act of rebellion Erwin mm. or Hirschman or someone. How good is that quote? To be ourselves is the greatest act of rebellion. And there's another one which is to be truly ourselves, we first have to learn how to non conform. Mm-hmm. Because everything anxiety, panic, depression, depression is I'm not good enough, I'm a failure. Mm. Then that leads you to I need to fit in, I need to succeed, I need to follow the rules. So you see how all those layers bring us back to the same place we've got to be a good person do as you're told mm. <coughs> the anxiety is I'm failing to live up to those expectations mm-hmm. of whatever they may be how you behave the way you do it performance delivery execution and so if we can go understand that for us to find freedom from those traps we still have to understand that oh so we have to understand that then the work is nothing needs to be fixed I need to break free. And then this is where people go to me, David, you're an antisocial. 
So you keep talking about non-conformity. And mm. I go, this is not about shitting in someone's letterbox. <coughs> it's not about that. It's Set about, it on it's about, that's right. <laughs> the non-conformity is thinking for yourself, asking to see the evidence, looking at what science or whatever you believe says about the whole picture mm. and finding your fact, mm. your truth, mm. and then holding to that. That's non-conformity. It's sad we have to talk about it like that because really that's just, surely that's freedom of speech and mm. freedom and personal choice and consent and all of these things that sit in that space of where I go to school, what I wear, what I eat, where I go to church, if I go to church. So all of these really big topics sadly end us up in a place of, well, you're either conforming or not conforming. Mm. So if we go, the work is there's nothing to be fixed we've had a culturalization impressed upon us to think and feel a certain way based on some expectations or how we define what normal is then we're outside that then we have the pathology hmm. so that's how that works if we can look at it that way we go okay we start bottom up and we come back through them connecting with our ancestors realizing that in that story is this freedom because every one of our ancestors were non-conformers hmm. they were coming for a better world free of aristocracy, free of um, service, um, stewardship or whatever it was called, slavery. Mm. They wanted a better thing for their families. That's why I, that's why I understand why my ancestors left Scotland because the weather was so bad and they were oppressed. Mm. Yeah, we started last year, I was over at the um, Surf Club building yeah. for a Jones reunion and there weren't even our family tree. Yeah. Uh, just mum well, my grandma had lots of correspondence so they'd gone to Southland in the late 1700s so mm. they were here very early and he was a boilermaker and so in that family tree they had in the second or third generation something like 64 first cousins and our, our, our O'Connor lineage falls short at my great grandfather he, he had to go to Dunedin when he was 11 because his parents were gone I know he was a drafts, you know, yeah. driving horses when he's 11 yeah. and goes to Dunedin and, and works in a uh, whiskey factory moving sacks of, of grain and then works in the railways down there. But yeah, th- this guy's a uh, boiler maker, his wife's a nurse in the 1700s. You're like, jeepers, these guys were pretty mm-hmm. pretty out there. And then robust. They, yeah, and then they moved. And yeah, so when they, when they got to Southland, of course, he could bend metal and you know, keep people alive and mm. get furnaces going and mm. blacksmithing going and mm. all that sort of stuff. So mm. th- he would have helped establish the Southland economy and getting things moving. <laughs> and there's the ancestry. Yeah, and then they moved to Whangarei and someone in that line ended up being the mayor up there. And yeah, yeah you're like, that's, that's really cool. And they're not really even my family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are, but long way away. And then see how that's the inspiration or the aspiration to start to be ambitious. Oh, yeah. And then on, the, then on my my granddad's side we have his diary of, of immigrating to New Zealand from Ireland you know it's a um, I guess a, a farmhouse it's probably owned by somebody else and there's seven people in the house who everyone else has got to go somewhere I guess because only one of you guys can stay and you go all the way around the world um, his sister's below deck most of the time I think she was allowed up on the deck one hour a day or something like that ridiculous and then they shipwreck in the Catlins on New Year's Eve and all she ends up going to Dunedin with is a pillow slip. 
after going all the way around the world on under dick yeah and they, they you know they find people yeah they're uh anglican irish so they join the orange league and things like that and yeah, build, build a farmhouse and then they die and the the next generation are left to fend for themselves some of them go to Invercargill. a young daughter gets sent to somebody up north and on they go we compare that to these days yeah the next one goes to the war medic yeah you just like I've only recently thought about that. Imagine being a medic. Mm. You're out there, there's things whizzing by and you're picking up people who are dismembered, dead, injured. And you've got a little leather satchel with probably a couple of needles, yeah. lots of string, or nylon. Yeah. Well, it would have been, wouldn't have been nylon. And they're doing what need to be done. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're a dental technician and here you go, go pick up bodies. Yeah. Finishes a uh, lieutenant and my, yeah. gr- my granddad had his his um, serviette ring that he used to eat his lunch with every day. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so you, what you've just given us is if we could try and find a way to replicate the essence of the psychology in that, yeah. the development in that, raising our children mm. versus um, McDonald's twice a week <laughs> um, dropped off at school. Mm. I remember talking to some people in Hong Kong. Um, it was rugby. Mm. Um, and I said, oh, help me understand rugby in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, if we're going to understand rugby in Hong Kong, you have to understand the culture. Yeah. They said, so from, um, here's a story that will help you understand the culture of our city. Um, one of the men was a teacher. He was teaching five-year-olds and said, um, it's getting hot, everybody. Mm-hmm you better take your jerseys off. And they turned back to the whiteboard and started writing. And when he turned back around again, all the kids were standing there with their arms up, waiting for him to come and take their jerseys off. Oh, shit. Because at home, they have the Philippine uh, maids. Yeah. Who dress the children, undress the children, feed the children, take them to school, carry their bags. Complete servant. Wow. So you go with your story of your family... Yeah. 11 years old, to Dunedin, driving draft horses. I mean, how big draft horses are. Yeah. Moving things around in a whiskey factory at 11 years old. <laughs> you know, what other men would have been working in a whiskey factory, pretty robust fellas. Yeah. And here's this 11 year old having to find his way. Yeah. There is, there is right in front of us about where does that lead to yeah. resilience and knowing who we are and being able to deal with life mm. and then we go through this whole evolution of health and safety mm. which I understand the philosophy and ethos of but I don't think they understand the psychology they're creating through the process of health and safety mm. which is not to think for yourself it's to follow the tick boxes about where things need to be how we need to do what we need to do mm. and that I remember in the 80s you could Get your helicopter license after 50 hours. I've just been re listened to Deal Wars. Holy shit. Yeah, and, and, and Milton Kitty. Yeah. To Dying for a Living. Yes. Great read, but that was the 1986. Yeah. So in the middle of the 1980s, there was no oversight by the Civil Aviation Society about what you did. Yeah. They'd only come in after someone died mm. or there was a crash. But up until that, well, you think for yourself. 
Yeah, what was it? Tim Wallace. They, yes. they bought the chopper. They lifted it off and right, let's go shoot some deer. <laughs> that, was, that was basically it, eh? It's that was nuts. It. So again, we get some idea about, you know, we ask about the demons and we ask about positive psychology. And we're talking about those two things in an era when the stats tell us we should not be talking about those things. Yeah. Because if we're talking about those things, then that has to be somehow woven into our stats. Yeah. But when your forefathers or forefather, 11 years old, to Dunedin to survive, work hard, da da da, and you know, there's a whole conversation about the fact that he was 11. Yeah. But if we can actually step back and look at that as a conversation with maturity and no ego mm. about where psychology sits and what makes a difference and medicine and all these things, just drop the ego. Let's just have a conversation about what's our reality, what's nature telling us in our species. Working, not working, it's not working. So what does what is rugby do in Hong Kong? Get them out of that. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle. That, you know, when we think about the way they play, there's lots of Kiwis there, so the Valley has lots of hotapu fellas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess that's why they end up with imports. But if we're going to help rugby there... It's a long-term project. It's not going to happen this season or next season. That's where we need to start helping. You know, like a, I guess you can see how the, the conversations. And this is where I want people not to think I'm like this racist redneck. But things like bull rush. Yeah. <laughs> why do we stop bull rush? I still can't figure out why teachers are on duty at lunchtime. Yeah. Why are teachers oh, in mate. the playground at mate, lunchtime? Yeah. Must have taught a school. I and then and then they're complaining that the boys are too rowdy and noisy in the afternoon. I'm like, they have not been able to play at lunchtime and at morning tea. Mm. Of course, they're not going to sit still in mm. class. Mm. That's right, exactly. So we start <laughs> controlling and policing what we believe is normal, appropriate boy-girl behaviour. So that's you're not allowed. To, so you and I, if we're at school now at say nine ten, yeah, we would not be allowed to have a fight. Yeah. So what? You know, what, how how is a fight between a nine and a ten year old a bad thing, and then how is it a good thing? Yeah, let's have a conversation about that because what they're implanting is they what they believe is a good thing. The social development is delayed through not being able to have what a natural society, natural species, wherever you look, mm. young animals play fight, mm-hmm. and then older animals help them adjust and learn social skills and appropriate behaviour. Every species does it. We're stopping that mm. by adults coming in and going, no, no, play nicely. But they were. They were learning how to have boundaries and social control and realising if I go too far, then there's going to be a consequence. Mm. And it doesn't mean to say, you know, because I remember there were fights regularly but not often. Mm-hmm. We all got on, but sometimes the rugby would get a little bit heated and then there'd be a fight. Mm. But then we carry on, and we learned about self-control, and I don't know. I just look at that and go, "There's, mm-hmm. there's those conversations which wouldn't be had because we can't ha- we we can't have fights in the playground. We have to have people feeling safe, and we can't have bullying. But bullying's different from young men having a little scuffle, yeah, because they're annoyed, yeah. Or well, and even you know, like I don't want to talk boys and girls, but you know, it's both mm. so Bull Rush used to be both boys and girls 
climbing trees, boys and girls. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess it's people go probably a bit simplistic, but it's we just talked about it there in a way that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. If you stop someone developing a sense of themselves in relation to each other as a boy and a girl and what that means and social etiquette and getting on together in a playground by ourselves within boundaries of the school, because mm-hmm. there were still boundaries. Oh, this this school's great. It's yeah. like unbelievable. It's bush and, and yeah. fields and yeah. Where you think they've got a great playground and things to climb and then you just hear that the oh the boys aren't allowed to you know, run around and like, oh, at morning tea they've got to eat and so they don't get time to play. And you're like, oh, here's your problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can see how well-meaning people are trying to not die. <laughs> yeah. Right? So now that's that's playing not to lose. Mm-hmm. If mm. you look at it, you start to break it down to what we talked about before. Yeah. So that's the affairs, that people will get hurt, the mm. school will be liable, mm. someone could get really badly injured whatever the catastrophe thinking that's going on is coming from that red or the the stuff we talked about before so then we have a whole society from education system which is all motivated not to lose mm-hmm. when your forefather went to Needham he was motivated to win mm. 11 years old I've got to find a way yeah I'll bet you he learned how to fight and put up, look after himself pretty quickly. Yeah, no doubt. Right, so he now all of a sudden we've got a young man whose motivation is find a way. Yeah. Look after yourself. Uh, the world isn't all roses and whatever. It's not in a, It's not going to get packed in a box and put the ribbon on it under a little pine tree on no. the 25th of December. Life ain't like that. And then all of a sudden by 15, he's probably already like we want most 25-year-olds to be. Yeah. And people go, oh, he hasn't had a childhood. And I can see what they're saying. But all of a sudden we've got a young man who then starts a generation of people that go and make a difference in the community. Yeah, that's right. And you're just like, oh. So we, we just carriage fit this. There's a quote around like all morals or something start with carriage. Yeah. You don't have anything else without carriage. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Arist- Aristotle that said that. Yeah, it's I think so. I think it was someone that said that. Yeah, without without courage, nothing else holds. Mm. So if I look at, you know, again, this is just my perspective. If you break down what we've talked about tonight, we're talking about an emotional universe where there's primary, primal emotions, mm-hmm. and I believe those are shame and pride. Mm-hmm. So I reckon they're your primals. Like if you think, uh, what do they call the primal colours? Yeah, primal colours. Yeah, red. Three, three of them, I think. Yeah, red, 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 blue, and green, or if it's light red, blue, and yellow. Yeah. yeah. So you think, well, there's your base colours, or whatever they're called. And if you look at what pride is, you could, you know, you can then go self acceptance, self love, mm-hmm. and you can go ambition and enthusiasm and confidence and belief, and you know, you can see how that can be the the garden of all lovely feelings, mm-hmm. and then shame can be the the pit, I guess, mm-hmm. self-hate, mm-hmm. loathing, don't believe you're capable of anything, um, low motivation, depression, anxiety, performance anxiety, and then vomit mm-hmm. before some big moment. So if we think about that, and then we look at what you just asked, you, then you go, well, what's, what is the, what's the catalyst to each of these? And then where I've got to is, if we want to help a teenager with um, low self-esteem or even depression and anxiety 
we're not going to solve it in the domain of the anxiety and the depression mm. or the low self-esteem. We have to understand that that's a that's you know that's the product or the symptom of the issue. That's mm. the smoke. But if we step that back, all of those come from shame. Mm. If we break it down and look at what's going on, they're ashamed of themselves. They're ashamed of what's happened. For example then it becomes a conversation of not how do we fix that, but how do we help them have pride? Mm-hmm. And how do we help, you know, not necessarily fix that, but then grow the other. It seems that the one thing that triggers both of those primal emotions, courage triggers pride, regardless of the outcome. If you're brave and it doesn't work out, you feel satisfied mm. and proud. If you're courageous, and act and it works out, you feel satisfied, proud, and elated. Mm. You know, if it doesn't, well then you'll be um, grief. But if it's something you've been working to for a long time, it's still real healthy. If you're a coward, mm. first thing that triggers, shame. Don't speak up. Don't follow through. Don't finish off because you're afraid mm. and you consciously feel and know you've given up, pull back, not followed through. How do you feel driving home from a meeting where someone said something that you really disagreed mm. with, and you should have said something and you didn't? You're driving home. What's the what's the feeling you've got? Shame. Mm. Then all of a sudden, the next morning, you wake up feeling flat, not motivated, not hungry, because you know you've got to go back to school, back into the staff room, back in with the people where you didn't say anything, and then guess what? You don't say it again. A week of that, and you're a wreck. Mm-hmm. A lifetime of that. And we get to 50 going, why do I feel so empty? Mm-hmm. And then that will be in there. So you can see how now we've got courage and cowardliness being a critical part of any conversation of health, well-being. Because all we have to do is then understand that what your 11-year-old forefather understood by having to, he had to be courageous mm. every day. Mm-hmm. And then no shit Sherlock. He grew into probably a really, probably a really outstanding young man within that whiskey factory, and then wherever he went after that, he would have been a valued mm. person. Mm. Courage, courage, courage. Valued person. Mm-hmm. And who values you the most? You Yourself. Do. Yeah. It's beautiful. Cowardliness, cowardliness, cowardliness. Sixteen jobs, sixteen relationships, sixteen countries. Who do you not value? Yourself. Mm. You're looking for a mirror wherever you go of someone to show you or give you love, mm. worth, um, value, mm. because you don't have it inside. Because as far as you're concerned, you're a coward. Mm-hmm. So you can see how for me, if we want to help our teenagers, get them driving um, coaches with uh, draft horses <laughs> and you watch them grow oh yeah so that but that all then leads to everything you know from what we eat how we eat what we sleep da, 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 all the, everything comes off that yeah mm. so then what's Kuzumano oh that's quintessential yeah, quintessential weirdo so essentially that Kuzumano came from it was from a writing called Hagekure which is the secret wisdoms of the samurai Okay. Translated by a guy called Alexander Bennett. How did how did this framework come about within the Japanese team? 
um, did you bring it or was someone brought yeah, it? Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, we, we we obviously have conversations there about how the you know how all the themes come together. Jamie and Brownie are amazing. Yeah. Um, so you're often buzzing with them, and their ideas hold such theme. So it's not like I'm there. Oh, this is a good thing. Were you over in Japan? Or yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, because naturally you're going to be looking at the history that sits there with them as a warring nation, and then apply that to our, you know, mindset for for rugby. And I was reading this book, and then it was talking about. So it was a translation of the hand notebooks of one of the greatest samurai. I can't remember what his name was, but not Miyamoto Musashi. <laughs> um, but it was a section in there that wrote about um, Bushido and the code and the way of the warrior. And it said that someone that lived purely to the values, and Miyamoto Musashi talks about that too in The Five Rings. He talks about most samurai strutted. He goes, I never strutted. Mm -hmm. I just concern myself with the art of killing. <laughs> well, I think it was cutting. 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 I think mm. it was cutting. He talked about. I just mastered the way to cut people better. <laughs> but he said most samurai strut. You know, most people strut mm. these days. If we look at now, well, that doesn't. You know, you just have to walk around here. See people strutting at the. Well, we just heard now. heard a few cars out there strutting. Yeah. <laughs> and the Kuzimono reflected the samurai warrior that lived to Bushido, which was the seven. Sometimes there's eight values. Yeah, and they were deadly. So if you go rugby, well, I, you know, I, I've never, I have, you know, I don't know Richie in, in the sense of who he was as a person and a rugby player, but from what I've heard, people talk about him and read about him. He was pretty exceptional. Kevin Malamu is another one that has the same sort of aura, and um, Daniel. So those three would be what they would have called Kuzimono in the old days, which is decent people and exemplary at their trade mm -hmm. and so for them it was a samurai that couldn't be corrupted they protected the evil uh, protected the weak from the evil strong that type of theme mm. they wore a robe they didn't have riches they were minimalistic and they were deadly mm. and then they were defined as kuzemono because the quintessential weirdo is the way that they operated stood out like a wolf and made them look weird because everybody else was average. Mm. They were corruptible, they didn't follow through, they slept in, they drank too much, they ate the wrong food, and they just happened to be good with a sword. Mm. But they were never phenomenal, they were never that exceptional as a person and as an athlete. And so that whole essence for us is that, for us using that and me using that in the conversations with anybody, not just rugby, is the intention to be world leading or an Olympic medalist I'm always like okay just stop there mm. we're going to have a little conversation about what you just said because if that's what you're saying I love it but I just want to check because you're probably saying that to other people too mm -hmm. but we now have to have a conversation about what that means to what you have to do and how you need to live mm. to honour that and achieve that and then that's that's the bit which is really around the discipline, around understanding there's always a price to pay, mm. around integrity. And if we say we want to be that, that's cool. But now our daily and weekly plan needs to look like that. Mm. Otherwise, just stop 
saying it because mm. you're going to end up with people talking about you behind your back as in a, in a way which is not Kuzi Mori. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Um, you were with Liam and Sonny at the Chiefs. Mm. Do you know what happened for Rio? Yeah, I th- look, my take for Rio would be, um, again, this is nothing about the people because all of those, all of those people, and Titch, great people. Mm. But I reckon what happened is we didn't have long enough to forge a culture and a oneness mm-hmm. within a team of men who are really strong personalities. Mm. And so you end up from moving from a, a, a team which have been together for a very long time, doing what they did week in, week out, pure, very tight bond. Mm. Clearly not as good in rugby sense as the ones that came in in the rugby, just a pure rugby term as a player. But as we all know that when you've got a culture that's that tough and strong and they've achieved great things, that that's a pretty pretty solid possibility. Mm. So we ended up having powerful personalities come into a group um, to then go and do a really big thing. And I reckon we just ran out of time to get that recipe uh, or get the cake baked really nicely. Mm. And so cake. we're on the back foot really in the sense of the culture and the team going into that space and then the first thing happened is we had Sonny and Joey get injured we lost to Japan. <laughs> so straight away within the beginning of that you had massive adversity and we didn't have a really strong, we had good people but we weren't forged together as a oneness mm-hmm. just because we hadn't had time because you know, any team that's going to do something like that needs time to form Mm. And so then that, I reckon that's how I'd look at what happened, and it's just really sad because they're all really good people, mm. and we didn't come away with the, from that with what we probably would have had we had longer to. So you got bronze, eh? Uh, no, we no, no, we lost. Uh, we got to the quarterfinals, yeah, and then we lost. Um, that's all in there, yeah. But we were very lucky to get there. Yeah. to quarters I think we got there because Fiji or someone something happened in another game that got us through yeah um, so that, that that for me is probably all I probably want to talk about that one because it's on the inside you just get to see good men broken because it was just a good example of you need still need time to take care of the foundation mm. no matter who it is mm-hmm. so just being good isn't enough in mm. team sport mm. um and we see that again and again in teams of great talent don't perform at the level that they probably should. And is that why, like here with the All Blacks, great men, great players, mm. like how does that fit into your world? Like you hear about with the Chiefs trying to get as mm. many, uh, volunt- what did you try to beat the breakers? Volunteer oh, hours yeah. in the breakers? Yeah, so Rens was really clear that first year that our, our main goal was to have more community hours than the breakers had had I think they had like two and a half thousand and then that was I reckon that was the spark that Renz always brings mm-hmm. um, it's always family but so is Smithy um, and t- Tom and Andrew too that they were, we're, f- we're very lucky to have four men that had really big hearts mm-hmm. and obviously everyone knows Renz and Smithy as that fo- and that crew but Tom Coventry and Andrew Strawbridge also I reckon a key part of that ethos of Care mm-hmm. 
paying or giving more than you get, paying the price. Real strong emphasis on discipline. And I had a great term the other day, savage on the basics. <laughs> That's how you probably define those four men as they were savage on the basics. <laughs> and in 12, it was, the training week was, was, was perfect. It was brutal, but then that's forged a team. We just talked before about what happened, or well, that they were able to forge that team through pre-season, hmm. and then they did what they did. Um, and so Renz was really big on it. We were all big on it. The team really got behind it. They loved that. You know, anyway, that year we didn't have a. For initially, we didn't have a club rooms. So we didn't have hmm. grounds, so they having to bike everywhere to go. And, do different things, you know, train on different schools. And then everyone had to help out to get the building sorted. Um, so they, all those sorts of things, I reckon, bring the humility that forges uh, a community connection that you can't, you can't falsify or you can't pretend. You've got to earn it. Mm. Um, what, what is that about being bigger than, you know, than yourself, than the team, you know, it's it's beyond what you you know it's you there to play rugby, but mm. for some reason this other element mm. makes like that's the secret sauce of what makes the perfect team, what makes a championship team. Mm. Like Cam- Cambridge has done it a few times with Hotapu, and, and it seems to be a little. I've done it a couple of times where it's like pockets of yeah. of winning. Like I was, I was there sixteen and seventeen. And we really got the development team going. We won the development grade twice. And then they went on and won three, three banners. And you're like, what's that about? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a little two-year low and then two more. And you're like, oh, that's mm. really cool. Mm. Brew Shield in Waikato, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, I guess that for me there's nothing worse as an asset within a team culture than entitlement. Yeah. So you can have one or two people of entitlement and that can very quickly change a room, yeah. change a team. But if you've got a, a strong enough coach who is able to bring the opposite and humility and community and the essence of loyalty and mm. no one's bigger than the team and then they're powerful enough socially to hold the egos. Mm even if there is entitlement, but their respect of the coach is enough to bring them in underneath. Yeah. Um, it's a we, not me. Yeah. Then it will work, but if the head coach isn't capable of holding that space, then the entitled will always try and be the alpha dog. Yeah. Because they believe they should be, or they should be special. And so I do, I reckon it's within any team um, and it's I guess some people might find this a little bit edgy probably is we've got to have a grizzly bear <laughs> any team of men the head coach needs to be a grizzly bear not a teddy bear which is everyone knows that he's the boss mm-hmm. but he's only a grizzly you'd think he's a teddy bear mm. so Ren's is a beautiful example. Um, you could, he can play probably fifty songs on the guitar. Hmm. So very common for him to have the guitar at the front of the room playing old school. Hmm. 
me and come in for an analysis session or a review session. He's up there playing Fleetwood Mac or whatever it might be, just some old school stuff. Mm. People are singing. Um, so there's Wren's. But he's also absolute about the boundary within the team and never putting yourself bigger than the team. And he'll have conversations with men that he'll feel have gone a little bit far on entitlement or self-importance. And he'll just quietly go and have a conversation with them in a back room about the behaviour, about where they feel that fits and if it's appropriate. And it's just that not walking past it. He will never walk past it. Yeah. And then, so you see what I'm saying by the grizzly bear, sometimes he has to get grumpy. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's never abusive, Mm. never violent, never that way. Mm -hmm. But when you walk in the room, if you've ever walked into the room there, it's, and Jamie's the same, everyone knows that's the head coach. Yeah. It's just obvious, but he's maybe on a guitar or he's at the back of the room and everyone else is around the session, but when you look around the room and the way people interact with them, you know that that's the boss. Mm -hmm. Most community hours in the country, um, every year we tried to do that. We adopted, um, every year we'd have, you know, after that too, we'd adopt someone who needed medical help and they would become the, I think it was the 39th chief. Mm. It was a day Rennie. Mm-hmm. So you can see how there is what I mean by there's the man that you know will be at the front door if there's a knock at three o'clock in the morning to defend the family. Mm-hmm. It's a grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. But he's also soft and caring and kind. And and so when you've got that, you've got men who come into that environment and have a respect for him straight away because he also mm-hmm. knows rugby. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. got strong family ethics going on, community service, big. So anyone that comes in straight away looks at him and go, I'll play for you. Mm. And then you get a team, as you know, that most men will play for each other, but it's a special coach that the men will play for the coach as well. Mm-hmm. But not all coaches. Mm. Often, I think, in professional free, they'll play for the contract, which can be misinterpreted as the coach. Mm-hmm. But the love of Dreams was absolute. The love of each other was absolute. And then that allows, because that team had some big men, mm. very proud, strong men, but they all sat and respected Renz, and Renz was in charge. Mm-hmm. But it was their team. Mm. So you see there's lots of layers in there which can be not in harmony, mm. and then boom, it all turns to custard. <laughs> Real fast. Oh yeah. Do you still uh, make a mock a pot? What's that, mocha pot? Yeah, your morning coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah? Yeah, so I've got my little Italian stove top. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Is yeah. it a Bialetti as well? Bialetti? Oh, yes, the ones that invented it. Yeah. I'd, it's as close. I can't, get, but I can't bring myself to go and buy a proper coffee machine. Yeah. <laughs> I will one day. Yeah. But not yet. So yes. So it's my little thing that is takes time. Yeah. So it's just, it's just for one and then I'll have a quarter of a ginger nut or half a ginger nut. Why is that? <laughs> Just a discipline challenge. Okay. Because yeah. it could be easy to have one dis- one ginger nut, but sometimes I'll have a full ginger nut. Yeah. But often it'll just be a, just one of those little rituals. What about your pile of bricks? You still got a pile of bricks? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was, remember I was telling you about uh, 
Keegan Smith, the strength and conditioning coach yeah. that I that I started the emailing with. Yeah. I went to his house in in uh, Mullumbimby in northern New South Wales, and we did that. We were moving some bricks, and I said, "There's a strength, a uh, middle skills coach in New Zealand that's with the Chiefs. This task is in his book." <laughs> he was quite impressed with it. <laughs> Yeah. They looked good when we finished, so I'd finish moving them. So it was a, yeah, I'd never do that again. Oh, maybe. But it was, but you see how those things early on were critical for me to evolve? Yeah. And then the, the dishes yes, uh, yeah. was a key part of that. And wearing gloves and goggles was all just a ritualistic <laughs> thing. And I remember when my daughter went for a first sleepover at seven. This is a funny story. She's under the sink rummaging through the detergents and bits and pieces and the mum that she was staying with friend, the mum of the friend where she was staying, comes over and goes, what are you doing, Grace? And Grace said, I'm, I'm looking for your goggles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the lady was like, what? She don't want to wash your dishes. Uh, there's, a, there's a comedian, I can't think of his name right now, he hosts Live at the Apollo a lot and there was one of the things that he was trying to do to his kids was tell them that guacamole was guacamole for the hope that one day at a sleepover they'd bring it up. <laughs> you, you did that, dude. You proof it's possible. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dom, Dom said that you uh, want to get a farm with a bush. Oh, yeah. So that you can fill it with animals. <laughs> I guess so it's always been. It's always been. You know, sometimes people have these things that have always been with them. Yeah, I've, I've got a similar mm. similar thing with me mm. on a deer farm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wicked. So it's certainly for me, it's about you know my mum and dad and seeing how hard they worked as a farm shepherd and a manager. Yeah. And the fact that dad would talk about the stock as his stock, but it never was. Mm-hmm. I remember having that thought with myself when I was fifteen. Yeah, so we'll sit there forever. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they'll just, you know, I'm just motivated by the fact that they're still young and active and alive, so I can't work on my time frame. I have to work on, on theirs so they can, he can actually call animals his and they're his. Yeah. So that'd be really cool. Oh, yeah, that'd be really cool. Mm. Awesome, Dave. Thank you. Right, that's been awesome. So much for this. Loved it. People. Do you, do you still do your newsletter, eh? You, you oh. sent out something today about the gratitude journal. Oh, yes. Yeah, so every now and then, because um, I've got a lovely lady who does all of my flyers and Google. So when someone links in to work with me, they get the Google forms. Mm-hmm. And they're cool, but I haven't done any of them. <laughs> But they're all my ideas that I just send in a Word document. Uh-huh. And then this lady puts it together, puts it in the system, so if someone comes to the website, it's all set up that they can go click, 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 click. So occasionally people like that one was around Andrew Jones, who's doing a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And that was just you know helping him put the word out there that he's, he's a great podiatrist in Waikato. Mm-hmm. A real super, super man, superhuman. And he's putting that into schools as an educational yeah, tool. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we just sent that on our database to let other people know that he's doing that. So occasionally we'll send stuff out. Um, and sometimes I'll have a little moment. I'll go, I'll write something and send it too, but it's not, it's not very often. Yeah, no, I yeah. enjoy giving them. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's cool. 
So if people do want to occasionally get something, they'd just be signing up on the website, would it? Yeah, I think that people can do that. Yeah. But they can certainly go to the website and there'll be a subscribe or something there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, and the book's still floating around. Yeah, it's still ticking over. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, no I, I do... One of the things I did early on was actually, because it was heading towards the end of our second season, and I've got a podcast that is talk, me talking about moments of perfection. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. it was going into the finals yeah, and it was yeah, getting yeah. that yeah. mental state of, we're, we're going to win this. Yeah. And yeah, going, I'm, I'm going to go forward, I'm going to make tackles, we're going we're gonna to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, very good. So oh, that's cool. My, my final question, Dave, is, is what keeps you in flow? Do you have like a mantra or a way you live your life or a quote that shows up when things are going well or if you're in the dumps, you call on it? Um yeah, I've, I spend a lot of time committing to being present mm-hmm. and courageous. So I'll put those two things together. Um, I'll do Wim Hof breathing, mm. and I'll do Wim Hof breathing. So when I do my hold, so I'll get to the, and I'll do my hold, and then I'll have a little chat with myself, which is. Just remember, asshole, you don't have to be Wim Hof hmm. or William Truebridge. <laughs> Just be David. Mm-hmm. And that really settles me because that stops me from worrying about having to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And then there's my perfectly imperfect. Just be me. Oh, yeah. And I'm holding. And then when I get to the first line, I call it the pressure line. Mm-hmm. I say to myself, so here's, here's life itself. Mm. You're on this side of the line, but life exists on the other side of the discomfort. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is keep going for 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So then I look at my app, mm. and I go 10 seconds, discomfort, and then I'm like, keep going. And then I'm starting to get, that's more like three seconds, and I'm going to keep going, keep going, and then my 10 seconds up, and it goes, yeah. and I do my recovery hold. When I get to life, I get, I've got to have a hard conversation or I'm starting to feel some pressure mm-hmm. and then I'll just be like and I'll breathe into that moment mm-hmm. and go remember you don't have to be fucking William Truebridge mm-hmm. just be here and then I get myself settled and I can feel it settle because it feels the same as I do in recovery breathing on the Wim Hof mm-hmm. and then I go yeah, just keep going keep going and keep going and by that stage the email is usually underway the phone calls happening I'm walking into a room to meet someone for the first time I'm now in flow mm. and that's that's as simple as it is but you can see there's a couple of things in there which is now that's building those layers and bottom up mm. I have demons and I don't care I love them because they tell me that if, I, it's going, my, if my brain's going off in that way mm-hmm. I'm usually somewhere I'm petrified of something going wrong, mm-hmm. which now means because um, if it's in a professional point, that's exactly where I need to be because on the other side is my real potential. Mm. So I'm actually on the right track. So I'm having all this freak out stuff and I'm like, sweet, keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm. Um, in life it's usually conversation. So I see my red and my negativity and my self-talk and my anxiety and downness or worry or low motivation 
it's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> That's good. Because that tells me I'm right on the edge. Because usually lack of motivation is fear. Mm. So I'm like, oh, procrastination, fear. Put enough. So you can see how I'm aware of those, and that helps me stay with where I need to be to be present mm. and flow. And that's probably a bit of a good summary. But I'm also really clear on the ancestry and the intention mm. and the layers that sit in there. Mm. So I'm real careful with my language. Um, even though I was saying before the language, but you see how there's layers to the conversation. Mm. When you get to a point from inside out, I'm then going to choose words with high frequency. So I'm just careful how I talk to people because I want that vibration to be there. Yeah. So that's how I start flow. Love it. Well, good. Thank you very much, Dave. Okay. It's Thank awesome. You. It's been great. Thanks for coming over. I loved it too. Cheers. Cheers, everyone.